Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Blue. How's it going? I think I'm doing better than you are. Yeah, it's been fortunate. a long week. Uh, busy it's been a very week. long week. But quite, I'm very quiet excited. Quiet on the because, news front. Yeah, definitely quiet on the news front, but I'm very excited because Hitman 3 came out. And this is true. I got up super early this morning, and I played some Hitman 3, and it's even better than I can imagine, but we'll talk about that later. We're going to kick it off with, as Blue said, there's very little news out this week. Uh, so we basically just got a lot of developers talking about, hey, we've got things to talk about that we can't talk about, was basically the news cycle <laughs> this week. Which I always hate that, but I guess it's the start of the year. What more could we expect? Uh, mm-hmm. But we did hear from Hideki Kamiya, who is at Platinum Games, and he has confirmed that Bayonetta 3 is very much still in development mm-hmm. and that we may hear about it later this year, which I'm sure we all would have expected to. But speaking via Arcade Archives in Japan, Kamiya-san confirmed that Platinum Games has been working on new stuff like Bayonetta 3, but he couldn't say too much. He goes on then to state that Platinum hopes to give updates on a few more unannounced projects before he continues, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but I (laughs) said it anyway, which is very Kamiya style. Um, And I'm quoting here now, the point is I'm trying to do a lot of stuff this year, Please keep an eye on us. I hope to bring some hype to this industry. And this is the first time that Kamiya-san has tried to reassure Bayonetta fans because back in May of 2020, he came out and told VGC, I'm happy that there's still anticipation for the title, but one thing I would like to address is the trend I'm seeing, which is people who are starting to ask if the game has been cancelled. I want you guys to take any concerns you have like that and throw them out the window immediately because we're still hard at work on it and it hasn't been cancelled by any means. Please look forward to it. So, I mean, Platinum are always working on a bunch of different projects. Mm-hmm. In in recent years, they've had like two arms, sort of their arm working on their internal, you know, big titles. And then they've had their second arm that's working on licensed things, which is sometimes hit and miss. Yep. Like, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Legend of Korra, stuff like Transformers. I think they did a Transformers game. I mean, I, I will say this about Platinum. They're not a small company by any stretch, but they're also just not a big company. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They are quite specific in what they do. They have an amazing skill set at their disposal, but they, you know, don't expect like Treyarch levels of like development time out of them. Exactly. Especially when they're like getting pulled into projects like Nia and stuff like that. that, Yep. You know, they're very open to doing things differently at Platinum, which I think has been their biggest strength and probably why you see them hit sometimes uh less than they miss yeah in terms of yeah. you know they they they're not afraid to try different things and they're not afraid to work on different coll- collaborations with people yep and i think that's super super cool mm. but given the pedigree of kamiya san and the team that used to you know be clover i think it was right under capcom uh um, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah it's it's you know i think there's a bit of expectation around that and i understand why yeah. because they've made some really great games but they've also made some stinkers in my opinion mm-hmm I mean, even their great games aren't flawless either, so... Yeah, you either like Platinum games or you don't. I don't think there's much in between, really. Ah! I like Automata, I just don't think its combat's very good. We're not allowed to talk about that, Blue. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, What I can say about this, though, is just that Bayonetta is one of their passion games, from what I can tell. As in, like, you know, oftentimes studios will take jobs and mon- and things to make money sometimes they will there's never a sure bet 
in the games industry, but there are surer bets, and sometimes you have to do that. I feel like Bayonetta has always been one of the things that they're passionate about, though. Like, when they make a Bayonetta, they want to make a good Bayonetta game. So that kind of work takes time. Yeah, I think Bayonetta is very interesting. Like, I don't know what the design philosophy or the thoughts around what that game was at the time, but Mm. I don't think people expected it to become this sort of real cult classic in a way that just... I I don't think anyone could have expected. It was a weird game. It was a very weird game that came out on the PlayStation 3 at a time Mm -hmm. where the PlayStation 3 was really lagging behind Mm -hmm. other consoles. And it got the weird, like, oh, this is like the most Japanese game of all Japanese anime games. So that obviously locks, yeah, locks off, you know, mainstream appeal significantly. Sort of. And then against all odds like it looked like the game wasn't coming out until yeah two yeah. nintendo step in and they're like hey we are going to publish this really like yeah. m-rated uh, super confident sexy witch lady game yeah and like it's not just that bayonetta 2 is on the wii u it's that nintendo's name is on the box for that right like, yeah yeah and you know they'd obviously had a, a good working relationship because they went on yep. to do the wonderful 101 which yep. i really like that game um, oh, I understand hell yeah I need it's to get cool. that remaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Game well, is super see, sick. I'm, I'm interested in it, but I can't really imagine playing that game without the Wii U gamepad. Like that was just, oh, such a good experience on that console. I've seen it in action. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, I don't think anyone saw Bayonetta becoming such no. a strong franchise. So I think you know it probably puts them into a place of taking a bit more care yeah uh with it take a bit more thoughtful design being that is in smash yeah Think about that yeah, like that is nuts she 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 is among the most lauded of video game characters including solid snake sonic mario bayonetta is there <laughs> you know like that's crazy yeah it's it's super cool to see and like i do not like these sorts of games at all. I mm. pretty much don't like Platinum games that mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. But Bayonetta, after I got over the whole, like, wow, this is super weird, and if my girlfriend or mum or something saw me playing this, they'd be like, what are you doing? What is that? Yeah. Uh, I was like, this is actually pretty cool, and I ended yeah. up really liking the characters and the story that it was trying to tell. Um, so, like, I'm an unexpected fan. I'm definitely very keen to see what they do with a third one. There's a surprising amount of heart in it. Uh, you, you say it's a cult classic. I will say this in response to that. Bayonetta, in my eyes, has more of a following than DMC. Oh, you know? That's... Um, because, yes? like, Bayonetta is a Devil May Cry, right? Like, in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I'm much, much more of a DMC fan than a Bayonetta fan. Uh, but, you know, at the very least, it has some kind of fame. Whereas, and, and people will have seen the game. Whereas in the case of Devil May Cry, it's very much, a, oh, yeah, I've heard of that before. Like, it's a thing that exists yeah, is one of the games. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree yeah. with that. Maybe Bayonetta as a character is definitely more out there than, you know, like Dante. Dante. Like, I think it does help that Bayonetta is the name of the game and the main character also. Um, maybe. I actually think it's a lot to do with, like, the time frame it came out. Bayonetta was around in, like, the heavy, the early formation of, like, heavy internet meme culture. Yeah, it's also um, very true. And she's that game is a memeable game, which is one of the things why one of the reasons why people don't talk about the story very much because there's a very decent story in Bayonetta, but that's not what people know about it. People know it's a witch with clothed hair and 
you know, guns on her heel. Like, that's what people know yeah, about Bayonetta. Yeah, it definitely became some sort of weird um, fascination with a lot of the characters and stuff in that world, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, so it's still cool. in development. Don't worry, it's coming out. Mm-hmm. It's coming out, mm-hmm. but that's all that could be said. Speaking of developers that are talking about things without talking about things, Gabe Newell. He has made this an art has, form. He has. Just. He uh, was speaking to Channel One News in New Zealand, where he's currently living, uh, riding out the pandemic, and he confirmed that Valve are working on games and that they will be announced. Once again, it's yeah. a very like, of course, Valve are working on games. Of course, they're. Nah, okay, no, games. no, you say this, but like th- that kind of is news, right? Like. It's never clear what Valve is working on, uh, and there is working on a game, as in, like, yeah, people at Valve just tinker. They tinker all the time. We know that. And then there is a, oh, we actually want to launch this at some point, you know? Uh, and I, I get the feeling it's a bit more of the yeah, latter. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the quote that was pulled from the interview, he said, we definitely have games in development that mm-hmm. we're going to be announcing. It's fun to ship games. Alex was great to be back doing single-player games that created a lot of momentum inside the company to do more of that, which is pretty exciting. He did not talk about any other specifics. He did not talk about Half-Life 3. He did not talk about any new VR projects. It's just like, yep, we're working on stuff. And because... Literally playing hardball. Because Alex was successful. But the fact that he's out there being like, yeah, nah, we are working on stuff. And Mm. he specifically calls out single-player like that to me. Yep. brings up a lot of interesting things that obviously I would imagine knocks out things like Left 4 Dead. You know, the the other thing we have to keep remembering here is that a lot of the writing team on Half-Life Alex were also at Campo Santo who were doing In the Valley of the Gods, which looked fantastic and it's just on hold now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on hiatus. Maybe they go back and do something along those lines. Who knows what's going to go on there? Or it's going to be just something completely new and exciting, uh, which would be cool to see them break out of that Half-Life universe and Dota and, like, do something new. Like, that would be really cool. Yep. It's been a while. they could just make Portal 3. 100% could. It's been a long time since Valve has really spread their wings, I feel. And it's it's so hard to imagine Valve ex- as experimental, but, like, technically Dota 2 was experimental at the time, right? And oh, sure, yeah, sure, they had League of Legends to kind of point to and say, we're just, like, building off of that kind of thing, but... They definitely had the money and know-how to turn it into an actual force. Uh, and the market share. That's a big thing as well. Yeah. So I, I mean, I do think the biggest crime is that so many people cannot experience Half-Life Alex, And yep. also there's just definitely a, um, a narrative around on the internet that Half-Life Alex is trash because I can't play it. And I'll never <laughs> play it. And I really don't like that and then people hacked that game so you could play it with the keyboard and just talk about how bad it is but that game is a transformative experience mm-hmm. i was so happy as much as i don't like GameSpot, i was so happy to see it be their game of the year and i think it absolutely uh, d- is deservant of that mm. and i do think that in that sense like valve really pushed the envelope in a way that like no matter what my vr headset is useless now because no matter how good a game is that i touch it is trash compared to half-life alex half-life mm-hmm. alex is just one of those like flash in a pan amazing moments that just sticks with you yep. um, that changes your perception of what a a like because this is a basically a platform a medium of gaming yeah. could be like i'm a bel- it sells you on that promise once you play it mm. um so yeah i think I would love to see Valve do more in that space. Mm. And I think they've probably made enough money to make that 
warranted, honestly. Mm. Um, like no matter who you talk to, if they have VR headset, Alex is the benchmark now. And I think it's going to be, it's going to take companies a long time to catch up because, you know, Valve have been having those headsets in-house. They've been part of that development process of building out the tech. They probably have a much better understanding than your average game developer as to what they can do with that sort yep. of uh, stuff at their disposal. Right? More, more than anything, Valve is a company of scientists and they're willing to use so many people as guinea pigs. Like TF2 was a was an experiment. <laughs> like it, oh, yeah. it's so hard to look back at it and be like, uh, you know, there's so much. From Valve's perspective, the marketplace was an experiment, um, and it exploded in a, such a positive way. And it's not even funny how how um, insane the way we approach microtransactions has been transformed by what effectively started with the TF2 oh, yeah, marketplace, 100%. you know? Like, I still remember, like, TF2 was the first free-to-play game that was like, here's the full really good game. Yeah, everything. You can just, just play just it. All it's of it. exactly as it was and buy yep. some pretty cosmetics. Like, uh, it was... It was a bit worse than what it was before, but yeah. Yeah, but it was, like, one of the... Uh, first ones of that that was like oh this is just a really good game yeah i yeah. want to pay money rather than we built this to be a free-to-play money suck hole in 2007 there were people buying orange box just for tf2 i mean i bought um, orange box just for tf2 yeah like it's i am that person a very common thing to have for people to have said and so for it to have been come free to play um i think it was seven years later 2014 yeah uh which you know it's that's a crazy amount of time and then for it to still continue going on but you know when Valve just effectively stood up and dusted their hands off and said, yeah, we're done with this. People were very sad, but to Valve, it was always just an experiment. And you want to see yeah. what happened with that from Valve's perspective. You look at CSGO and uh, you look at Dota mm-hmm. 2, whose marketplace is completely dwarfed TF2s. Like if you put them on a graph, it's not even worth drawing TF2s revenue anymore because those yeah. two are so much better at it and they learned so many lessons from it. So 100%, it's a company of scientists and experimenters and they have they must have learned so much from alex um it, it's so exciting for and yeah. valve is also very keen to share this information like valve uh developers always like have you know big spots at gdc's and stuff like that where they talk about the technologies and the lessons that they learned throughout all of this among a lot of other developers that do this kind of thing as well but like valve in particular when they share these kinds of insights it's something that everyone pays attention to because there's so much to be learned from what they've already yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, so. it comes down to not only just the management structure of if something interests you, you work on it. And if mm. something's interesting to you, you usually put more into it. Mm. But also they just have Smart money. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yes, have yes, the money. They have they the money like, to, you, to If you want to take that. five years working on this, you yep. can. Yeah. Just go for it. Doesn't hurt the company like, That's too a luxury much. that nearly every other company in this space definitely does not have. Yep, 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 yep. It's... uh. What is the phrase? Uh, it's fuck you money. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> is there a problem? No. Pay for it to go away. Like um, Valve has that in spades. And hopefully, hopefully Alex is the start of a seeing the next wave of yeah. um, VR because it felt like we plateaued before Alex came out. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the Walking Dead stuff seemed cool. Uh, e- even, uh, I, I, I told you about this a while ago. I don't know if you've ever looked it up. Even Groundhog Day, um, like Father Like Son, honestly to me looked pretty all right but it sounds yeah. like alex is like just on another level so I'm yeah happy, like I'm i mean ho- i have plenty of vr games that i play that i really like but mm. like just nothing just not up to the level coming yeah. close yeah nothing. i hope to i hope to see the next thing uh, i didn't expect it yeah. to jump to be honest because we, we kept seeing incremental stuff uh body works yeah. right like you know body works was very much a, like yeah we can totally do something cool in this it, it may probably be a couple of years 
and then Alex just dropped, and it's like, well, that's a thing. That's a thing now. That is a thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But sticking on with Valve, uh, Newell also did speak to the news crew about some real plans for Valve and some of its employees to relocate to New Zealand in the future. Mm-hmm. He's saying that there is uh, some strong interest internally among Valve employees, uh, but they're you know considering this. So for those who don't know, Gabe Newell just happened to be on holiday in New Zealand when the pandemic broke out and New Zealand has allowed him to stay. And he's been there ever since. And allowed, going, allowed the multi-billionaire to just chill yeah, out in their country. Exactly. He's made and news he, in New Zealand multiple times just for how rich he is. Yeah, he's he's been there. He's thrown an entire like a massive uh, festival. Yeah. For the people of New Zealand, because yeah. like this is a very they haven't forced him out. He's obviously had a conversation with them. Yeah. Of being like, yo, like I really don't want to go back to America. Yeah, he, Look he, at what's going on. This is the longest ten days of his life. Um, yeah. I can't imagine that most of that was like proper above board legal <laughs> other than hey you have money oh, we'll not. let you stay you know like yeah absolutely like he got an investor visa or something yeah um but he's he's being smart about it by the sounds of it his quote is you don't want to uproot a bunch of families have them come here and then the situation gets a bunch better and they have to turn around and go back so that's why getting a better handle on how long this epidemic is going to be affecting our operational decisions is important to make mm. that final decision. But I I do hope that something does come from that because having uh, even a satellite branch of yeah. Valve in Asia Pacific would be amazing for I think the New so Zealand well. game dev scene is is definitely getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I mean Path of Exile is one of the biggest games in the world and it's out of Wellington. Yep. Um and then, yeah, um, obviously Australia is right next door, so it would offer even more opportunities for those people to be involved. So, New Zealand um, 100% deserves this. I think that doing this for COVID and pandemic reasons is short-sighted and a mistake. But yeah. other than that, it's a great environment for yeah, a studio. Absolutely. Um, so more on that I hope to see in mm-hmm. the future. Also, not leaving Valve, but, uh, you know, Valve adjacent here. Stepping across the, the, the world. Yeah. The European Commission has dealt out over 9.4 million US dollars worth of fines to Valve, Bandai Namco, Capcom, Focus Home Entertainment, Kosh Media, and Zenimax. For geo blocking games. Is, is that, it's oh, Coke. Coke, Coke Media. And Zenimax for geo blocking games and breaking the EU antitrust rules. The EU Commission stated that uh, some of the aforementioned publishers actually cooperated with their investigation, so they actually reduced some of those fines. So Bandai Namco got hit with four hundred thousand US dollars with a ten percent reduction. Capcom fifteen percent reduction at four hundred eighty k. Focus Home at three point five million dollars with a ten percent reduction. Mm-hmm. Coke Media ten percent reduction at one point one million dollars, and Zenimax was two million with a ten percent reduction. The interesting thing is that the commission has said that Valve refused to cooperate with their investigation, so they hit them with a fine of 1.9 million US dollars with no reduction at all. But Valve has come out saying that they are going to appeal this decision, and they spoke directly to Eurogamer, to which the Valve spokesman said, During the seven-year investigation, Valve cooperated extensively with the European Commission, providing evidence and information as requested. However, Valve declined to admit that it broke the law as the EC demanded. Valve disagrees with the EC findings and the fine levied against Valve. The EC's charges do not relate to the sale of PC games on Steam, Valve's PC gaming service. Instead, the EC alleges that Valve enabled geo-blocking by providing Steam activation keys and upon the publisher's request, locking those keys to particular territory, known as region locks, within the EA. 
Such keys allow a customer to activate and play a game on Steam when the user has purchased it from a third-party reseller. Valve provides Steam activation keys free of charge and does not receive any share of the purchase price when a game is sold by third-party resellers, such as a retailer or other online store, like uh, Humble, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. The region locks only apply to a small number of game titles, approximately just 3% of all games using Steam, and none of Valve's own games at the time were subject to the contested region locks in the EFA. Valve believes that EC's extension of liability to a platform provider in these circumstances is not supported by applicable law. Nonetheless, because the EC's concerns, Valve's actually turned off region locks within the EFA starting in 2015, unless those region locks were necessary for local legal requirements, such as German content laws, or geographic limits on where the Steam partner is licensed to distribute a game. The elimination of region locks may also cause publishers to raise prices in less affluent regions to avoid price arbitrage. There are no costs involved in sending activation keys from one country to another, and the activation key is all a user needs to activate and play a PC game. Yep. So basically, Valve's like, hey, we just did it because the publisher asked us to, because yep. they're selling their games on other platforms, and none of our games have it, and we don't take a cut from anything that's sold on other platforms, so... Yeah, no, nah, we're not paying that fine. This is basically what they're saying. I mean, and this I, is I a, say it, it sounds right to me. Uh, it does as well to me, but this is a super complicated thing. This is consumer law at work here, and if you know only one thing about law and the internet, know this: law currently does not keep up with the digital age. Yeah, um, that is the if you can only know one thing about like all legislation. It's just not fast enough the way it currently exists. So a lot of this will not be fair to a lot of people because a lot of this will be retroactive and retrospective, which means that they will say, this doesn't feel right. Let's look into it, make an investigation, and then go, all right, we feel that these violate these preset terms here, 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 and here without you know, necessarily taking into the context of a lot of these laws would be put into place to protect things like uh, moving things across Space is um, expensive. Over the internet, data is basically free. Um, yeah. You know, intellectual property is one thing, and then the cost of manufacturing is another. Well, digital products don't really have manufacturing costs. Like, there's so much like weird, small, and um, niche problems that start to exist once you apply. Um, you know, older, not even old, just older consumer or any kind of like. Uh, um, law pertaining to products and goods to the digital medium. It, it just it's it's not a one to one um, just application. So, ooh, yeah. this is finicky, and this is this will set precedence probably. Yeah, and I hope it does because that's definitely as you said, like law does not really account for most of the digital age. Like even outside of just products and stuff, like digital nomads roaming the world, working yep. for companies in different countries and stuff. Like technically, for a lot of countries, that is actually illegal. Yep. But there's no law specifically saying that you can't do... Like, there's just so much gray area all due to the way that we live lives at the moment. Yeah. And also, pandemic has really just highlighted a lot of those areas that are Mm. just not good, Mm. right? (laughs) The things are collapsing because of what's happening in the world right now. So, um, Also, this is an investigation that happened over seven years. Can you even remember what Steam looked like seven years ago? And what kind Uh, of restrictions were there? Like... This is it. It's when when was this line drawn? You know, um, I'm not yeah. saying the European Commission is wrong here. I'm just saying 
Ooh, this there's this is a tricky one. Uh, and I am not a lawyer, and I don't want to step into this minefield to like pick this apart. But like, there's so much at play here that is just not obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on exactly. It. It's one of those things, right? Like, regardless of who's in the right or the wrong, uh, as someone who's living in Japan, and I've been stung by these geoblocking tactics. For instance, yep. yeah. Trying to buy Resident Evil. I cannot buy Resident Evil on any of my Australian accounts because I'm in Japan mm-hmm. and I don't want to do it because it's cheaper in Australia. But if I buy Resident Evil on Japanese Steam, I cannot play it in English. And yep. that's a problem. So, yep. you know, there, there is, you know, I'm in a minority here, but there are, you know, valid reasons of why you want to purchase from another country as opposed to, well, I want to buy it from Russia because it's 10, 10 bucks there, you know? Yeah, it's not um, just about the price. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. I, As you said, I think no one is going to make it out scot-free and there's going to be some unfairness spread around. But mm-hmm. as you also said, I hope that some precedents are brought up from this. Hopefully. It's been too long. Like, this has been... everyone, and Most people in the industry have known about this issue for years now and it's just nothing's quick enough to be able to respond to it. Yeah. So. And we're going to stay with some sort of bad news here. But uh, the Celeste B-Sides composer, Too Mellow, has claimed that music publisher Materia Collective has failed to pay out any royalties in well over a year. Mm, the composer yeah, the, the composer tweeted out, I have not received any payment from Materia Collective, or Collective sorry, for the sales and streams of my Celeste B-Sides track since 26th of July 2019 mm-hmm. when they began handling the release's payments. At least three other B-Sides remix artists I've talked to have also not been paid by Materia since July. Mm-hmm. I've inquired about this in October 2020, was told that there were outstanding royalties for me, but they have not given me an update since November. It's been 17 months since the last payment in July 2019. After sending three more messages without a reply, I'm posting this in hopes to resolve things. Mm-hmm. And then this tweet kickstarted a slew of other artists who came out and spoke against the label, including Laura, Intra- uh, Laura Introver of Destiny and Mortal Kombat fame, who claims that Materia missed 13 months of payments along with many other artists out there. And since then, the label has come out on uh, Twitter, because everything happens on Twitter, and uh, made, a, made an apology. It's a pretty, pretty lengthy one, but bear with us. Hey everyone, I want to directly respond to the news and reports and payments from 2020 are delayed in processing. We want to communicate directly with you to explain what is happening, why it's happening, and what we are doing to correct it moving forward. 2020 was a year of many challenges and hurdles for many, our small team included. As we evolved faster than we anticipated, our internal resources and team were stretched thin working to keep up with demands, resulting in this current predicament as we fell behind with the massive amount of data that is required to be entered, audited, and processed. You may be familiar with Materia Dashboard, our in-house software solution that we have been developing to accommodate the nuance of video game music royalties. Music royalty accounting is a complex process. Unfortunately, because it's so complex, we have to enter project-related data by hand and we've fallen behind with that. We realize that this is unacceptable and our entire team is setting aside non-essential projects to help get us back on track. Our goal is to be caught up by the next reporting period in mid-February. You will receive all of your payments to date by then and we will maintain open communication throughout this process. As a good sign of faith, we are removing the minimum payment threshold to ensure everybody gets their payments up to date, including these next few weeks. Moving forward, we will be expanding our team to improve and maintain the dashboard to ensure timely and accurate payouts in the future. We recognize that actions, not apologies, will make up this right. 
and we hope that we'll be able to prove ourselves and regain your trust with time, though we understand that it may be an uphill battle. Thanks, Sebastian Wolf, CEO, and I call bullshit on that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that yep. is bullshit. Yeah, up, up, uphill struggle to regain trust is an understatement here. Yeah, you don't start a company that is in this sort of field without having a payment structure because that's all well and good that you fell behind. Old mate artist who needs to pay rent can't pay rent yeah. because you haven't got that. Yeah. You know, yeah. When when we started up a fellow traveler, like that's one of the first things that we had. Yeah. Like we didn't people. have anything. I, I was using my own laptop, but we had an accounts team yep. ready to go to make sure that our developers were paid. Uh-huh. And we didn't know what we were doing. We were a tiny nope. little startup. We were dealing with revenue from like 15 different uh, currencies and paying Mm -hmm. out to like six different countries. Mm -hmm. And we still managed to pay everyone on time, every Mm -hmm. single time. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be like, oh, 2020 was a hard year for everyone. (laughs) Boo fucking who, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, do not pull that shit. No, I'm sorry. And yeah, it just really sucks because I bet that this apology is only going out now because people started saying it on Twitter. Yeah. Like, yep. Um, no, there, it's, this is unacceptable. Uh, there is no world in which you are told three times by... So this one person messaged three times, you know, mm-hmm. and nothing happened because of that. And the moment it hit social media, suddenly you can put aside the non-essential projects yeah, to do exactly, this. Exactly. Why was someone's livelihood not important enough until it was on social media? You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Because now everyone knows that you're bad. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that sucks. That really sucks. Suck. And it sucks even more because... Celeste is a pretty cool game. I know I don't like it as much as you, but I do like it. Mm. And the soundtrack is amazing. The soundtrack like, is very good. You know, composers for the, for game soundtracks, like I know that they don't get paid enough. They don't get paid enough for their work. No one in on the people. industry gets paid enough to begin well, with. Yeah, so. that, true. that is very true. Which, speaking of, you can go to patreon.com. <laughs> I'm joking. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... You know, like, they don't get paid enough, and a lot of them rely on, okay, someone can buy my stuff off Bandcamp, someone yeah. can stream that, and I get yeah. my revenue, and a lot of the time that goes through a label, like yeah. Materia, and mm. they're not getting paid for that. Yep. Anyway, Blue, what's happening in Blue's trash corner? <laughs> oh, thanks. Setting us up for a high note here. <laughs> um, I, Yeah, I don't have too much to bring up, but I did want to point to something that started from a bad place, but I consider it a step forward into a good place. So let's give you some, let's talk about some context really quick and please feel free to add in anything I may have forgotten because the impetus for this is a while ago. So last year, towards the end of July, um, a lot of allegations surfaced against a particular prominent member of the fighting game community, which ultimately led to the cancellation of um, the EVO um, online tournament series, uh, the first, the, the one that was going to be online because of COVID reasons. Um, a lot of bad things happened there. I don't really want to go over back over it. Uh, but one of the things that circled and murmured through the community is that, look, the FGC is not a big community. There, you know, around the, across the world, there's tens of thousands of us, maybe. Uh, but even having said that, that's still a lot of people who are spending a lot of time in this community and how did a like how did you know bad things happen under all of our noses so uh something that was put forward was that prominent community leaders should come together and create one of you know one of the things that we wanted to do was come together and create a code of conduct and as of last week 
um, the first draft of that has come up online. If you're interested in the specific wordings of this, look up the FGC Code of Conduct. Um, FGCOC.com is where it currently lives. It is a, a living document, effectively, and it's nothing, it's not anything groundbreaking. It's just a few pages of text to outline, you know, how we should all be less trash fire human beings to each other. Now, why is this important? Legally, the law, yeah, you know, hasn't caught up with online spaces very well. A lot of shit goes around without people without being checked online, right? Yeah, I mean, we've all been a 4chan. Yeah, precisely. Um, this is what is not the first of its kind, but this is, in, you know, a, a very, like, careful and considered step towards, hey, if we're all in a community together, communities have rules that bind us, that we follow because we want to follow, because we want to be in a community that's full of good people who do good things, as opposed to just, you know, rule of power. Um, so... This is part of that. Uh, this document is written in collaboration with community leaders across multiple fighting game scenes, is written um, by lawyers, so it's going to have a very specific kind of wording, tone, and pacing to it. And they're all simple things. Uh, 3.1.1, engaging in assault, battery, physical harassment, or abuse, or any other physical contact with any other person uh, without uh, is a violation. You know, like stuff like that. You just... Don't be bad, but hey, if you're if you're asking me where is that line, look at this document. And this doesn't bind anyone to anything. This just means that if you are a member of a community, if you are you know someone who wants to start a, a fighting game scene on your own, this gives you something to fall back on for what is and is not acceptable behavior, perhaps for reasons you may not have considered. Not everyone has the legal and ethical training to be able to just say, please don't do that, or here is why this is wrong. And this community, this um, this document is also written by um, a, a team of people across multiple committees, and you can go to them with queries, um, possibly complaints against community members and stuff like that. And it, it's just trying to put into place some oversight. And the reason I want to bring this up is because that's really cool. Um, you know, one of the big sections of this is investigation, adjudication, and enforcement. This is not blanket, just we will black hoods of committee people decide to just cast uh, community members out. There's going to be some discussion and by your peers, by community leaders, and stuff like that. And I think that something like this is probably long overdue for a lot of the internet. Like, you know, the internet is a new and community. There should be rules of conduct, a code of conduct, on the internet that we that you know most people adhere to not because there's a law against it but just because we should be good people to each other especially when you don't know someone especially the strangers there, there's a line that's easily crossed between us oh, and the internet i can just say anything you know sure maybe you can do that with your friends and then it's understandable in that context and people understand your nuances as a human being you don't have that online so um yeah i don't know so i just thought it was interesting to bring nice up to each other it's be nice to each other. Message. Yeah, yeah. It's not complicated, but it does need to be said. So you can go so. check that out. I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who is interested. But once again, mm-hmm. this is not binding. And also this no. is just up to your local community to adopt. And I think that's its biggest downfall. But yeah. I'm also not part of the FGC. But I don't know. I always feel that the FGC is like pertinent to only the elite of the elite who are part of a little group. And then everyone else sort of scrambles off into their own little hovels of people who play 
Mortal Kombat and have like the the political fights over who rules and this roost kind of situation. At least that's what I've seen from gaming communities in the past. Um, the FGC is interesting depends. because it has kind of come together over big tournament events and with the investment of companies putting in esports money, there is now vested interest in people becoming prominent members of very specific scenes because they are not profitable. So there's a confluence now. There is a unification of very small scenes coming together because a lot of people start asking themselves, what's the point of this scene now? Hey, maybe they're... They now have an outlet for ambition. If I get good enough at this game, I can take part in the Tekken World Tour because you can actually just earn... Anyone can earn points towards being in the Tekken World Tour. I get good enough, I can take part in Capcom Street Fighter League, um, which is an invitational only. And, you know, the old school dream, I get good enough, I can go to EVO. EVO has always been a completely open tournament, which is quite rare in the world where anyone can enter. And, yeah, there are tens and tens of thousands of us around. EVO frequently has over 100,000 views on finals day. So it's not a small community anymore, and there is unification going on. So this is not going to be binding to everyone in it. But this means that when you step in the door, community leaders can point to this and go, please look at that, make sure you pay attention to that, don't step out of line. It's for the better of everyone. It is to make a better community. Which uh, is always a good thing. It's a thing that I think a lot of communities need to consider once they hit a certain size, right? Like yeah. A lot of communities for run sure. rampant. And a lot of times you hear stories of, wow, this community is good. That's because a code of conduct has been put into place by its community leaders. It just may not be an official one. You know, like if it's if it's a community or on a streamer that's particularly good and kind, that's because the streamer themselves are demonstrating that quality. And that's a code of conduct that's being kind of permeated through this. But that's easier when you have a unified source and for something that's as disparate, as you said, like the fighting community, that's a lot harder to kind of enforce these kinds of values throughout the entire community so and that's super why our community is a trash fire because i'm a trash fire streamer uh <laughs> i'm gonna mumble and not voice a disagreement here yeah no nah, our community is actually pretty good <laughs> our community is all right few problems yeah absolutely and if you want to be part of our community please feel free to join our gilded or discord server information can be found in the show notes <laughs> absolutely all right well blue you know what time it is it's time where i ask what game you've been playing you say that you haven't been playing anything and then i talk about what i've been playing so blue what have you been playing i've been playing hearthstone battlegrounds <laughs> wait what no i thought you were off the hearthstone i thought you're on the magic train I am on the magic train. Uh, Hearthstone Constructed still feels bad to me, uh, especially uh-huh. after magic. But I don't know if you've ever had this. I get interested in a game, especially when I see some of the best in the world. And I happen to, which is why I play fighting games, right? Because it, they're very obviously the best in the world, and you can tell that they operate at a different level. And I happen to uh, come across some highlights from a player named um, Dog, uh, based out in the States, who... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he still is, but definitely for a while in December held the number one uh, ranking spot in Battlegrounds in North America. And at the time of the videos I was watching, his highlights, uh, he was grinding out in EU because I guess he got bored. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's so interesting to go through their thought process and understand the nuances of a game through the lens of someone who's so good at it. Yeah. You know, I always love that. Uh, my favorite videos for games are always when the, someone can go into absurd detail for why they make even the tiniest choices. That's super cool. And so that got me to go and experiment with it. And Battlegrounds has changed a lot since its initial introduction in Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this sounds suddenly like a marketing spiel or why I feel like I'm defending myself for playing this game. 
but yeah, I thought it was kind of worth checking out. Uh, it's been alright, and I still don't like it for the most part, and I will probably run out of like interest in playing it soon. But mm-hmm. I never gave it its fair shake. This is my first real auto battler. Um, because yeah. the concept's always been fun. Like the concept of like hoarding and collecting uh, triples is always fun. But most of the franchises that did it, I wasn't super interested in. Uh, and all of my reservations for why the Hearthstone one is not interesting remain. I still don't think it's very enjoyable in the long term. But since I watched someone really good play it, I now had the context to go in and try, which gives me new appreciation and context for why he's so good. Yeah, you know? yeah. Sure. yeah. That sounds cool. So it's just been Hearthstone, Battlegrounds, and Magic. Hearthstone, Battlegrounds, Magic, uh, Dash of Minecraft, some Hades. I don't know. I dabble. <laughs> like, you dabble. Not, not a lot. I've, been, I've had a few Hades runs. Yeah, that's week, good. Actually. Good to get back to it. Hmm. Um, all right, so I have been playing a fair bit of stuff this week. Um, I finished up the Olia review, mm. which I can't talk about, but it's coming uh, on the 20, just looking at my calendar, the 28th that review drops. So my Tuesday video will actually be a Thursday video. Mm-hmm. Um, embargo reasons. Yep, embargo mm. reasons, but yeah, pretty good. Looks cool. Looks cool. Um, I uh, just started a, another game that is embargoed till the same date, but because they were so close together, my review will be coming uh, a week later, uh, called Disjunction, which was sold to me as Cyberpunk Hotline Miami with some stealth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Verdict. can't talk about it, but <laughs> okay. that's the pitch. And um, check out a trailer. I never heard of the game, uh, but it came from like a really reputable PR agency. So I was like a bit surprised by that. Like this PR agency doesn't usually do indie games. So I don't know what the story is there. But anyway. Um, ah, probably beers cool one night looking. is the story there. Isn't that the story of all interesting things that happen in the video games industry? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But games that I have been playing that I could talk about. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus The World Deluxe Remake HD. I don't know what it is, but it's the, the re-release Electric of Boogaloo. the game. Yeah, that's... Um, you know, everyone, I feel like they're out of nowhere over the last couple of years. There was just this huge cry for Ubisoft to bring this game back. And I don't yeah. really know why. Like, I remember seeing, I don't, like, I don't know if something happened. Was it, like, 10 years after the Scott Pilgrim movie? I don't know. But I felt like everywhere, we were like, well, we need to bring back Scott Pilgrim. It's the greatest beat em up ever made. Come on, guys. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. And I'm like, why? It wasn't that good. <laughs> like, it looks all right. I remember it. I remember it being okay. Yeah. I remember, yeah, the, I remember okay. the art being cool. I remember yeah. the music being really dope. Cause There's personality. Anima- yeah, Anamanaguchi, I think is how you say it. But that band that does chip tunes, they mm-hmm. do all the soundtrack. And the soundtrack's phenomenal. Mm. And But I remember the game being just like kind of hard, kind of slow, kind of just a really classic beat-em-up and mm. whatever. I booted it up on Switch because actually uh, Molly and I, we launched a new podcast last week called Pixel Bites, which Molly and I review a game every episode. And Scott Pilgrim is the next episode, so I'm not going to review it today. But booted it up, and I was actually really surprised. I was like, "Oh man, yeah, now this I remember this." And the music and like the smile coming across my face. I'm like, yep. "Oh no, I've hit that age where I'm nostalgic for things now." Hey, and, yeah, hey, and uh, good. It's a good place to be. Yeah, like, uh, so I am a pretty decent fan, decently sized, decently passionate fan of Scott Pilgrim in mm-hmm. terms of the comic series. Mm. I really, really like that comic series, but I also haven't read that comic series since I was in my early 20s. So don't know if it holds up as you get a bit older. I remember mm-hmm. the movie coming out and like, oh, this is okay, but it looked phenomenal. It was an amazing looking movie. Absolutely. And I just remember the game being really hard. 
And yeah. the game yeah. is really hard. Like, it is definitely, like, even on just regular Joe mode, I think it's called, or average Joe mode, mm-hmm. it's, like, kicks your ass a fair bit. Mully couldn't even finish first level. I'm like, mate, I'm at least halfway through the game. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I don't know if anyone listening has a huge passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just being careful about how deep I talk about it because I'm doing a podcast about it that I want you all to listen to, so make sure you go subscribe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, surprised by how nostalgic I was for a game that I didn't really care about. So I guess there's something there. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it was amazing or why it had to come back. Um, but on the Switch, it's pretty great. I, I want to say part of it is uh, about two years ago, Capcom did a small spree of re-releasing their brawlers right. up to and including the new Streets of Rage, which is supposed uh, to be quite good. Yes, 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 yes. So like they had the like Capcom Arcade Brawler Arcade Collection come out. Uh, I feel like that coincides with when I started seeing Cries for Scott Pilgrim come back, very much in the mm-hmm. vein of, hey, this is coming back. Man, you remember Scott Pilgrim? That was a really good one, huh? So like... The brawler, the the beat 'em up brawler space is not exactly flourishing, but there are a couple of like players who are very good in that space. I, I mean, players as in like developers who have done some very cool things, including the Scott Pilgrim game, um, especially with this remaster, Streets of the New Streets of Rage. Obviously, is also quite competent from everything that I've heard. And uh, River City Ransom by Way Forward is also um, mm. pretty, uh, River City Girls by Way Forward is also very good. I should say. Yeah, uh, sorry, uh, River City is a complicated series. <laughs> There's a lot yes. to it apparently that I am just yeah. not aware of. Yeah, I think I think for me, like those games, just a bit whatever. Like I remember playing Streets of Rage when I was a real little kid on an arcade machine. Yeah, but like, eh, like Double Dragon, whatever. It's fine. It's like not my favorite. You press the buttons, you knock some dudes over, you can pick up. The only beat-em-up game that I can sit here and be like, I love it, is uh, Turtles in Time. Turtles in Time mm-hmm. is sick. Mm-hmm. The game is amazing. When mm-hmm. you're playing it on your Super Nintendo and you're throwing mm-hmm. a foot soldier through the screen and then, yep. like, Michael Andrews is like, it's pizza time. Like, it's a great time. It's a great time. But uh, there, there was a new Battletoads as well, remember? Yeah, um, uh, I streamed it with... Yeah. Um, Old mate, yeah, we finished it. That is interesting in a different way. The, the beat em up yep. is not that interesting, but the delivery of it, like a lot of people give that game a lot of crap. I think it's perfect at what it was doing in terms of we're doing this Battletoads thing yeah. in a world where Rick and Morty exists. Like, yeah, I it's hyper confident. It. Yeah, absolutely. It's hyper confident at what it's doing, in my opinion. Yeah, and, um. and just how it's like, okay, and now it's like a space shooter, and now it's like a side scrolling minecart level, and now yeah. it's. That was really interesting to me, and the beat 'em up yeah. was kind of like whatever. Yeah, it, it didn't want to be old school Battletoads hard. That like yeah. that's not interesting anymore in today's day and age. People don't have time to fail at a game forever. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So Unless you're like me, and you play Sekiro over and over again. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing Scott Pilgrim a little bit. <laughs> Check in the episode on Wednesday. The other game that I've been playing is Hitman Three came out today well it came out late last night um so hitman 3 is real good blue like i cannot stress enough just how amazing hitman 3 is now uh, a bit of my history with the series uh i have played nearly every mainline hitman game and those first games i really love the concept of but i was too young and they were just too hard mm. very very hard mm. extremely hard and they wanted my pc to melt at the time i remember that <laughs> Um, and then I really, really got into the series with the reboot trilogy. The reboot 
trilogy is just fantastic. Well, trilogy now, but you know, those, those first two games are just the way they did the episodic content, yep. the way that you just run the level multiple times, the threads of story that fall out of those levels. Mm. Like Hitman has had story in the past, but like, it's just bad and it's there. And here it's actually interesting and it's still not the greatest. Like I'm not playing Hitman for the story. But finding out these little bits of people's lives throughout yeah. these levels is really something special. It's not about the plot, right? It's the personality of the world and the characters that live in it. Exactly. And I think uh, IO Interactive did a really good job of setting up Hitman 3 as, hey, it's just more of what you like. Mm-hmm. So my expectations were kind of like, I'm going to get more of what I like. Cool. I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. And then getting into that first level this morning in Dubai was just stunning. For so many reasons. First of all, it was just bigger and grander and more just just over the top, but in a grounded way, which was super cool. The I'm playing it on the Xbox Series X and like graphically it looked phenomenal and I wasn't even on my TV, so I can't wait to put it on the 4K uh, OLED, but um, just the way Next. that it has the ray tracing, the lighting, the level design of this Dubai level is phenomenal. The the colors, the schemes, the the areas that you can explore. And then just the writing and as the story is falling out, like it is just, you can tell that they really studied what players were doing in those first two games. They really studied how people went around those levels in business, what they did, how long it took them to find certain plot lines, how long it took them to find X secrets yeah. and really just built the absolute best version of that that they could i've heard stories about the databases of information that hitman has generated it is so intimidating yeah it is just it it is wild and as someone who's coming in like i'm just gonna get more of that and it'll probably be a little prettier like it feels like so much more than that it just they are so confident in what they're doing mm-hmm. that they're like almost, it's not quite to the point where like Adrian 47's turning around and winking at you before he does something, but it's <laughs> almost like, we know you're going to like this. There's this feeling of like, yeah. they're almost excited to show it to you. They're yeah. Like, you're going to love this. Like, it's so cool. And I know that I'm like projecting a little bit of myself onto that, but you know me, I'm pretty harsh with games. And it takes a lot to get me excited. And I was just so surprised by just how damn good these first two levels of that game are. Uh, and I can't wait to play more of them. And that second level is just phenomenal. So you're at this uh, um, like manor in London or outside of London in England somewhere. And it's basically knives out. You can steal like <laughs> a, a detective costume and Ooh. there's like a family, there's a fake death, oh. and but then there's a real death and then you have to question them and get into their rooms and find evidence. It's wild. It And it's one of those things, right, where I know that they didn't make the level after seeing Knives Out yep. because like this game's been in development, but they sure as hell made that quest after seeing Knives Out and yep. like turned the tables and also even that like if you take that plot line which is definitely the one that they're trying to force you in because it's right there at the start of that level mm-hmm. you can basically just walk around the house unfazed by people seeing you because you're the detective you're meant yep. to be there yeah and it completely changes the experience of what a hitman level is yeah in a very meaningful interesting way yeah oh i can't stress enough how good hitman 3 is can't wait to play more of it i actually uploaded both uh of the because uh, I did two streams, I did a test on YouTube for two hours and then I went over to Twitch and I've uploaded both onto the Pixels of Breakfast website if case anyone does want to check out those first two levels. 
go check them out. Good times. Mm. And that's it for me. That's all I've been playing, but that's enough. Oh, that's and I played The Last Campfire, which is what we talked about on uh, Pixel Bytes podcast. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. Mm-hmm. The plat- oh, not platform, a puzzle game from Hello Games, the creators of No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, Blue, that was a much longer episode than I thought, considering how little news there was. Ah, oh, but we got to chat about so much cool things. I'm so happy that you're happy about Hitman 3. That's, I'm, I love hearing people excited about video games. It's one of the best yeah, part about being had, in games. Yeah, I've just had this run of just really good games that lately that have been interesting and exciting. Mm. And it's just awesome to go into a game that I thought I was a known quantity and it's even better than I thought. It's absurd. Like, you know, when you get a sequel, yeah, you know, when you get a sequel to the game, and I feel like Hitman 2 is like this, where it's just like, it's comfortable and good because you know exactly what it is. And it's like putting on a a robe and and kicking your feet up and having a nice glass of of whiskey or something, and you just feel relaxed. Mm. That's what I was expecting Hitman 3 to be, not to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because that's what Hitman 2 was for me. So, Um, yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. I'm, I'm keen to play more. That's super sick. Well, that does it for another episode of the Pixels for Breakfast pod. Blue, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, this has been a particularly good one. It's been a good time. Mm. Make sure you head on over to YouTube and watch the abridged video version of this, where I don't really know how long that video is going to be because there's like four news stories this week. Uh, So make sure you head over to youtube.com forward slash pixels of breakfast. I also drop all the reviews and stuff that we talk about here. And while you're following us around, make sure that you go over to twitch.tv forward slash pixels of breakfast. I stream three days a week over there. And if you are listening to this on Apple iTunes in particular, if you could give us a review and a rating and perhaps recommend it to a friend, we sure would appreciate that. Apparently it helps the algorithm send us out and about. Blue and I will be back next week. Blue, do you have any final words? Uh, Be good to people. Love each each other. Love each other. Be kind. <laughs> and as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. ありますあります